It is that time again, ladies and gentlemen. We are from, back. From all over the globe, Andro Sturgeon in the Netherlands. Justin Womack in Camarillo. And Lisa Lamandi Grandel from Northern New York. And all we right. are the marketing geeks. marketing geeks. So here we go. And the fashionably chic. The, the, the marketing geeks and the fashionably chic. Let me get back into that. Let me get back into the voice. Hold on. The marketing geeks and the fashionable chic. Nice, Justin. Love it. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) So I think we have a great show for everyone that's listening today. Um, Oh, I'm certain. I'm absolutely certain. This is going to be dynamite, Justin. We were supposed to, this is for the record, we were supposed to record this uh, a a little bit uh, earlier, but I was... um, my kid was having a hard time going to sleep. He's a, he's a what we call a G-I-T. He's a git, a geek in training. And uh, so so I had to show him a little bit of uh, of Doctor Strange. So I, go, I, I, I go to put the movie on, and uh, I said, this is a movie called Doctor Strange. It's about a wizard. And he goes, Doctor Weird? Doctor Weird? <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, it's Doctor Strange. And he goes, it's Doctor Weird. <laughs> Does he talk like that? Really? <laughs> he talks. He talks a little bit like uh, like it Elmer, like Elmer Fudd. It sounds like he almost has like a New York accent or something there. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, it, it was it was very funny, and I, I needed to show him the uh, completely tripped out ayahuasca DMT experience <laughs> and just get his two cents on that. Find out what he what he thought about it, and I asked him, hey, you know, you ever seen anything like that before? He goes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, but you ask him where. Well, where, well, where here's. Here, I gotta tell you, there is one other thing that 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 tripped me out. He goes, he goes. I want to watch my show. It's about Quetzalcoatl, and I'm like, Quetzalcoatl, like the 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 god of of creation and destruction from like South America, and he goes, yeah. And it turns out it's, there's actually a show where Quetzalcoatl is a is a is a character. I'm probably slaughtering that myth. But anyway, I just thought that it was trippy that all of a sudden he like switched gears and he's like, "I want to watch something about the Quetzalcoatl." I'm pretty like, amazed wow. that you uh, you knew who that was to the point where um, you you're like, "How do you know about him?" I, I've never heard of uh, of that particular god, or maybe I have, but I I've blocked out that memory from uh, from my education. Yeah, well, one of these days we'll do a special trip down to uh, Ecuador, and then you'll I'll show you how to see. All of that stuff. It's pretty <laughs> in the Amazon jungle with a Kichwa shaman. That's all I can say. So let me ask you this, Andros, uh, being that yes. topic. How did your son persuade you to uh, to watch that? Well, he he didn't quite persuade me. Which one? The 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 one that he wanted to watch after the after the. Uh, well, here here he was the thing. So I showed him Doctor Strange. I said after Doctor Strange, we're going to sleep, and I I, I knew I was going to stop at a certain point. But, but the thing with this kid is that he's like a dog with a Frisbee. When he gets like his mind set on something, it's like, you know how a dog just won't let that Frisbee go and you're holding the Frisbee and he's just like, Arr! like, that's how he is. If he, if he gets something in his mind, he's just like solid about it. Like, no, I want to do this. So he really wanted to watch this thing. But then when he said Quetzalcoatl, I'm like, oh man, I got to find out what this is about. Because what, what, what I was, what, there was a part of me that was wondering like, what if I he takes me to a cartoon and it's like has nothing to do with anything like that, and it's just like maybe some just bears, and he just like pulled that name out of the sky? I would have I would have been given that kid a special test, but uh, 
<laughs> you know, he uh, there's actually it's a, it's a Netflix show. It's pretty good. And for those of you who have kids, uh, there is this uh, there's some really geeky, awesome shows for children on Netflix. Uh, Justin, you're going to watch all of them and I'll, I'll give you a. It, it, will, it will be happening uh, right now. My uh, my child uh, just turned six weeks today and he's in he's in the phase where he's very, very fussy. So, uh, so I've been, you know, he's, he fusses at night. He fusses Aww. during the day. Um, I, I pass him off to the wife right now. So she, she has him at the moment, but it's, uh, it's, it's challenging. So he's not watching television yet, but we'll get there and then we'll get into yeah. the trippy weird shows that you're watching. So I can't wait. Yeah. He that. sounds like a, he sounds like a, a, a two month old. Yeah. He's a uh, one and a half. So we're, uh, we're getting there. One, one and a half months. Yeah. Well, you know, he's under the curve. He's still fussy. And, he, you know, usually, or maybe he's before the curve, usually by, by two months. No, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> really? <laughs> Why don't we get into the show? Let's get started. We should start. Okay, what are we talking about? What are we talking about, guys? Because we, we just... So we have an exciting show for you. So yeah. today we're going to talk about... So the, the takeaway that I want all the listeners to take uh, at the end of the show is that I want you to be able to identify one of the six universal principles of influence. And we're going to cite these from uh, Dr. Robert Cialdini. Uh, I don't know the guy personally, but a lot of people call him Bob Cialdini. I just don't feel like I can call somebody Bob until I've, uh, I know him pretty well. It's kind of like with James Cameron. I call him James. Everybody <laughs> calls him Jim, though. That seems to know him. Until so, they uh, shake just, their hand. Until you shake their hand. Uh, for sure. I, I actually, you know, I did, I did shake uh, Robert Cialdini's hand because he spoke at Traffic and Conversion this year, in uh, which is a digital marketing summit down in San Diego. So he was a, a speaker, and I, I had with my VIP ticket access, I got to go backstage and get my picture with him and get an autographed copy of uh, his other book, Persuasion. Uh, so I did shake his hand. I did meet the guy, um, but. I still don't know that our relationship is is there where I can call him Bob. Yet. Right. Yeah, I, I completely uh, understand that. Well, look, yeah, you know what? We'll you should Robert. take him to Burning Man. Take him to Burning Man, and then. Andres, I've never been to Burning Man, but it's ninety eight degrees in northern New York today. This is not typical, so I I definitely feel like a burning woman. Well, I I, I will tell you that uh, when when we do our company retreat uh, together, <laughs> that's where we're going. <laughs> All right, let's get into the meats of the show. So uh, the idea behind uh, this is we're going to look into Robert Cialdini's six pillars of influence and and how we get people to say yes to your offer. And a lot of these, I know, Andres, I don't think you've read the book, uh, but you're going to recognize the pillars as I list them off. And uh, why you got to call me out for my non-reading, man? I'm I'm busy learning Dutch. You know, some of us are doing other things. It's all right. You know what? I I've actually not read the book either, but I have listened to the audiobook. I don't read okay, much anymore. I'm, I'm a big audiobook guy. So, so let's uh, let's one more time. What are the pillars of influence? Let's hear them one by so one. Let's, and let's list them off, down. and then we'll we'll dive yeah. in. So yeah. okay. So the pillars of influence. Number one, reciprocity. Number two, liking. Three, authority. Four, social proof. Five scarcity and six commitment and consistency. So we're gonna go we're gonna go one by one through these. So let's let's just kick it off and let's talk about reciprocity. Number one, right? So reciprocity is the idea that if you give something to someone, they're more likely to do something for you. 
I get and, it. Like so, so like when Chipotle gave people E. coli, <laughs> they were more likely to give them a lawsuit. I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. You nailed it. You nailed it. That's exactly yes. where I was going to go with that. I actually had that in my notes. I gotta I gotta do the strike through now because uh, we've covered that part. If you're going to talk um, about food, though, it's like, Andres, when you walk into a grocery store and they have a sample of something they want you to try on a nice little toothpick and they give it to you and then you're like, oh, well, that cheese is delicious. I need to go find the Havarte cheese and buy some. That's that's correct. And in fact, in the book, they cite a, a study from chocolate stores. We've all been to Seize Candy, you know, uh, at least I haven't been in a long time, but I used to go as a kid all the time and get the free samples. Uh, the research shows that if uh, somebody is given a free sample of candy at a candy store like that, that they that person is then 45% more likely to buy uh, than someone that did not receive the free sample. Hmm. So that speaks to the principle of reciprocity. Now, if we extrapolate this to digital marketing, um, I'm sure some of our listeners may not know what this means, but the idea of giving out a lead magnet. So a lead magnet would be like a free report, a free document, um, a free gift in exchange for somebody opting into your email list and taking the next step in your uh, marketing funnel. Now, this is something so the that, idea that, is... that I've seen you. I've seen you set this up with other clients, and you're you're brilliant at this, Justin. Where you you, you can help set up the lead magnet, create an ebook, or you know that whole because there's a whole methodology around that. Totally, yeah. But the the theory is that if you give something to someone, they're more likely to then feel indebted to you, and then they're more likely to buy. So that's uh, that's pretty much principle one. And, and Lisa, do you have anything to add um, as far as reciprocity goes? Well, one thing that I really thought was interesting about reciprocity when I got into the book was that they had this uh, idea of uh, good cop, bad cop, which I thought was really kind of uh, not the way I pictured reciprocity. I definitely pictured, you know, walking to the grocery store, getting that piece of cheese and then wanting to buy that cheese or chocolate for sure. But when they got into the good cop, bad cop scenario, I started to think about all of the TV shows where it works. I don't know if any of you watch uh, Chicago PD, but, you know, the, one of the lead characters there definitely plays the bad cop. And uh, when he's working with one uh, potential uh, bad guy and, and a suspect, he certainly plays that role. But the part that I, I took away and my big takeaway on the good cop, bad cop was the idea that one person can serve as both the good cop and the bad cop, which I think is a little more interesting when you start thinking about uh, one individual trying to sell something. So typically how that would work, uh, and I know that I've used it myself in doing presentations and in working with people, it's when the person changes their tone. Okay. So you might be one of these people who's just naturally bubbly and excited and has all kinds of energy, enthusiasm like I do. But then when I drop my voice and I start to whisper, people know that I'm, I'm getting really serious about something and they need to listen. And so you, so, you, you get lower and slower. And, and that do. is something I need to learn that because you know what I do? I start to yell and I get high pitched. And I, well, I just, it's so ah! funny that you say that, Andres, because one of my secretaries one time was deathly worried about me. I mean, she was just so worried because this parent came in loaded for bear. And uh, this is a big, big, 
big guy, 300 pounds, uh, real muscular, shaved head. He came in and he said he's really upset about an incident that his child allegedly was in on the school bus. And he came in yelling and screaming, you know, up one side of me, down the other, all five feet of me. But I'm, I'm sure I had three inch heels on. So five, three. Back then, my bangs were still a little bit higher. So maybe I was, you know, five, four. I don't know. But he he was trying to intimidate me, obviously. And the louder he got, the softer my voice got. And by the time we finished the conversation, he was whispering. He ended up walking out of my office saying, thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate it. And And, <laughs> and my secretary almost fell over. She goes, how do you do that? And I said, it's like the, the baby's sleeping. You know, when, when the baby's sleeping, one person starts whispering, what happens? Everybody starts whispering. So I really like this because I think if there's a really salient point or something that you're really trying to get across in a presentation or something that when you're advertising marketing and you're, you're doing it through, uh, definitely the mean we're, means we're doing now auditorily, and you start to change the way you're talking, whether it's slowing down, let's talk about some key points here, boys, or like Andro said, what are you going to do? Oh, Andro, start screaming, right? Okay, and all okay, of a sudden, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I did it. Right. I did it. I'm sorry. But I, I just loved that. When I read it, I thought, that's brilliant. I've been doing it for years, but I didn't know what it was called. So, you, so it's, called, you, it's called the Steven Seagal. You just gotta. <laughs> <laughs> actually, well, actually, I think we could we could give Bob. I'm gonna call him Bob, even though I haven't um, had an opportunity to shake his hand, Justin. I think we Steven, could give Bob credit. Steven Seagal. Bob, Bob, who wrote the book. <laughs> oh, who wrote the book. Uh, the influencer. Sorry. Back to the book, right, Andros? We'll keep you on track. But back to the book and Bob, Bob's book. And I really think that that good cop, bad cop, and the idea of one person being able to like both parts was quite fascinating, Justin. So thanks for letting me try it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that, that, okay. So reciprocity in that context would be basically you change your tone and somebody else adapts to you. So it's almost like you're, you're leading a matching and mirroring type of relationship. So you're, you're leading their following. Uh, and that actually, that kind of segues into our next uh, pillar of influence, which is liking, meaning that somebody likes you. Uh, what's interesting to me about that is that if you do match and mirror somebody's body language and behavior, um, they will tend to have a subconscious belief that they like you more. One of the uh, one of the ideas in the book that I I, I don't even know I, I haven't really tested this exactly or um, or measured it, but the idea is if you if you have like a cup of warm coffee in your hands, you are more likely to be perceived as being a warm person. So I, I can't verify <laughs> that this is accurate, but this is what this is what is cited in the well, book. Well, Justin, I have to interject um, and ask you a question. If you're walking in the store yeah, or you're walking down the street and you have that beautiful two month baby or six weeks, six weeks old baby, how, how old? Okay, six weeks, month and six a half week old, old baby. month and a half. So yeah. Are people like coming up to you and smiling and, you know, I mean, are they, they, they must be. They are, but then I scowl at them. And, oh, and okay. Because <laughs> I have this problem with, People with babies, I think they could sell me anything. Or people with puppies or kittens, they could sell me anything. If you've got a puppy and you've got a kitten and you've got a baby and you're, you're going through the store and you've got something to sell, I'm going to buy it if I don't need it. They're just cute. They're just cute. That, I mean, that's a, that's a great point, though. Yes, um, I, 
when I have the baby with me, you know, in the whether it's in the stroller or or whatnot, yes, people are much warmer to me than than normally if I'm just walking because I have a uh, I have what they would call resting bitch face. So <laughs> that's what my wife my wife actually refers to that she calls that for she's like you have that so she tells me I have that so that's right. how I know. That's the first I've heard of it, but I I know my brother when uh, my girls were younger, used to like to borrow them and bring them places because when he had the little girls with him, women were attracted to him and wanted to chat and visit. So he used my daughters uh, to pick up women. True, true story. I, I once went to dinner with my wife. We went to, I think it was just Buffalo Wild Wings. And um, there was a police officer that was uh, just there to eat. And he walked by and he stopped and addressed my table. And he, he asked me, he's like, are you okay, man? Is something bothering you? So I, I was just sitting there like totally normal, but I mean, that just shows you that I have some sort of resting face that suggests that I'm bothered. <laughs> Justin, and, um, Justin I haven't had an opportunity to see you up close yet, but I have to ask you this question being the uh, fashionably chic person I am. Do you have a unibrow? Like, do you just have one eyebrow across your forehead? Could that be it? <laughs> Could that be it? <laughs> I do not have a unibrow. I do have arched eyebrows, though. That and a um, okay. Always... Yeah, but that's that's typically pretty sexy. But I mean, we might have to work with your eyebrows. I know a good friend of mine, Winita, can help with the waxing. That might that might soften up your look. Yeah, just take them off completely. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So all right. So back back to the pillars. Back to the pillars. Okay. So that was that was liking. So uh, ideas for getting people to like you more, match and mirror them, which will create a subconscious connection and get people to feel more connected to you. Uh, carry a baby with you or a puppy <laughs> or, or a kitten. That will uh, that'll make you look like a warmer person. Or theoretically, carry a warm cup of water or coffee. And uh, for some reason, that will consciously communicate that you are a warm person. So I, I'm not sure I agree with that one, but that's in the book, so I'm bringing it here. Um, so look, Justin, I would have to add one more thing. Yes, to that. please. Do. I think people look much more approachable if they're smiling. True. You know, if you have a smile on your face and you're happy about something, and you know, I'll talk to you a little bit later in, in this episode about my interview when I was selected out of 10,000 people uh, to be the next QVC hostess. And I was one of 20 people out of 10,000 that uh, interviewed for a job with the, you know, the QDC home shopping. And uh, it had a lot to do with smiling. So we can talk more about that later. Interesting. But like, likability is, is right up there. Yeah, absolutely. So, so is this also like, um, uh, one of the things that, that you and I always talk about, Justin, is how you know you get people to give you this uh, minimum amount of buy-in. Like if you if you want to engage in your audience, if you really want to build your tribe, the first thing that you do is is you create this minimum amount of buy-in. Whether it's liking your page or putting out an email form, uh, does this fall in into that? It that would fall into a later category. I would say a later pillar. Um, so not so much in the liking portion, because I think this is more like literally liking you as a person. They have to right. they have to think that you're you're a good person, that you are congruent in your you know, in what you say and what you do. So they have to they have to kind of like and trust you. I think trust could fall into this, uh, but we'll, we'll get in a little bit later about um, commitment and consistency, which is I think that's where that would fall into what you're talking about, because micro commitments, uh -huh. those kind of things fall in there. 
um, that when people make a, a small commitment, they're more likely to make a big one later because they've invested a piece of themselves into it. So we'll, we'll talk so, more about So the key that. is, though, to just like somehow get someone to like you. And, uh, and, and to trust and, you. And, okay, so how do I, how do, I do that? <laughs> well, I think the, the, next, the next pillar. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Are you taking notes? Andros, take notes on this one. Yeah, because I, 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 I really want you guys to like me. I really do. Well, you got to carry your kid around. Yeah. You can't put him in the bed. When you put the kid to bed, yeah. we, we don't like you anymore. Well, that's why. That's why. That's why I had him for so long. Like I, you know, I knew as soon as I like put him to bed. Listen, like listen. Make sure he has a bottle and a pacifier as long as you possibly can. That I mean, if they're eight years old and walking around with a bottle, they're still cute. A kid ditched his pacifier on like month three. He just, like we put it in his mouth, and he was just like spit it out. He's like, I will have none of this. Thank you. <laughs> So anyway, the next pillar is authority. And authority, whether it's perceived or real, is a way of getting people to actually have trust in you. So this kind of goes back into the liking. These two kind of link together in that way. Uh, but as a generalization, people prefer to say yes to individuals who have confidence and credentials. Um, this is also, there's something called perceived authority too. So if you are a perceived as a leader of a group, um, which is often if you're speaking. So if you go to a networking group and you're the speaker, uh, you have uh, perceived authority instantly because you're the one leading the group and speaking. So people assume, for it doesn't matter if it's true or not, uh, they assume that you know what you're talking about because you're on stage speaking. And even if you know just a little bit more than them, uh, you're in a really good spot. Now yeah. this also this also goes into your credentials. So if you have a if you have an MBA or a PhD or even a bachelor's degree, um, that's going to give you some authority. And then your your background, your work background, what's your what's your job title, uh, what's your what's your education history, what's your work history, those kind of things are going to give you authority, whether it's um, whether it's real or perceived. And people with authority are are liked more. And you know, trusted. Justin, I, I struggle with this on a daily basis right now. As somebody who is completing her dissertation through McGill University in Montreal, Quebec, uh, completed all my coursework, traveled back and forth to Montreal, in face-to-face -face classes, nothing online. And, uh, you know, as somebody who's doing that right this minute, I, I struggle with this because I think, okay, I have 25 years experience. I, I know what I'm doing. And yet, until I get finished my dissertation and defend it and have PhD after my name, I may not be considered an expert. And uh, that, that sometimes bothers me a little bit. So I think that when you say perceived, I like that because sometimes you don't yeah. need the letters after your name. You, you, you've done the job, you have the experience and people respect that. So I have the, uh, I have the perfect cure for you. So you're going to finish my dissertation for me. I would love <laughs> No, 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 no. Even, even better, even better, because because you don't even need a PhD anymore. Because now you are a host of a number one rated podcast on iTunes. Oh wow! Being, All right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So being being a host on a number one rated uh, podcast on iTunes, like Marketing Geeks, right. is actually perceived authority. So if yeah, you know, because most people probably aren't going to listen to the show, so they're just going to assume you have perceived authority. If they if they listen to the show, <laughs> you know what we do have right. We have seven listeners. Right. Seven right. listeners. Well, that's okay because uh, I know that you checked your emails, right, Justin? You get 
like 250,000 emails and how many listeners emailed you and you got back to them? Because I actually had two people contact me through LinkedIn and uh, I thought they were people listening to the show. Turns out they had no idea about the show, but we did have great uh, a great conversation about the show and now they're going to start listening. So I think we'll be up to 10 listeners by the end of the day. This is this is very exciting. Yeah, but you know, every every time we get some listeners, some drop off. Oh, so that's, um, yeah. that's why we don't like you, Andros. You're such a Andros. Person. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. <laughs> you might be offending people too. You know, maybe some people. Did I bring you all down? <laughs> We're, actually, this is a great. This is a great. Uh, this is a great segue because you're it you're sure taking is. okay. Two points here, Andros. You're taking away from our authority by by minimalizing by minimalizing, which is not a word, but, uh, I like it <laughs> though. It's got a nice ring to it. Yes. I like it as well, but you're, you're minimizing what's real because we are the number one rated podcast just... in business. Um, and we have more than seven listeners. So, uh, so, so we, we have to talk about authority here. So we want to have, uh, we want to have strong authority, but then we get into social proof and social proof also has a, a subsection called herd mentality where, if you, tell people, if you tell people that uh, other that their peers are doing something uh, or that it's the fastest growing something, it's the largest selling something, um, then they're more likely to put in their buy-in. So if you tell someone you have seven listeners, you're actually going to make it less likely that you're going to keep those seven <laughs> listeners. If you tell people that this is the fastest growing podcast out there and that it's, uh, it's, it's growing exponentially every single week, then we're more likely to have uh, our listeners continue. So, uh, I but, but, but will they like me? <laughs> <laughs> that is the million dollar question. I think the whole idea of this podcast is to get people to say yes. So hopefully by the end of the podcast, you'll convince people that they like you, Andros. Okay. okay? Let's cross our fingers. I, yeah. I just don't think I'll ever like you, Andros. I just don't know. Yeah. And I'm worried about Justin's eyebrows now. I got to work on those. So <laughs> Justin and Andros, when I think of social proof, what I love when I read the book was this example. I thought it was fascinating. When you go into a hotel room, and I spend a lot of time traveling. So, you know, I've been the five-star hotels to the motels because it's late at night and I thought I could make it and I'm so exhausted and it's like the last motel and I end up going in and I'm thinking, do I really want to sleep here? Do I have my, you know, my spray for bed bugs? And, and you know, I, I've been everywhere. The problem becomes you always see in, in the higher end hotels, these little cards by the towels. And Oftentimes it says, please reuse your towels. We're trying to do something nice for the environment. Well, they think that adding a common cause would encourage people to recycle the towels. Like if I'm using a towel for just my hair, my crazy curly hair, I don't have a problem using that towel the next day for my hair. It's clean when I get out of the shower. My hair is clean. You know, why not use it again the next day? But they found that when they changed the card, in this particular hotel, and the card said a percentage, like 98% of our guests, or the majority of our guests, recycle the towels. Then more people started to recycle the towels because of that social connection, that social proof. I thought that was interesting. So the environment wasn't as big of an impact as, oh, if everybody else in this hotel, I don't want to be the, the person that looks bad when, you know, the, the cleaning crew comes in. So peer pressure to be part of the social proof at this four or five star hotel, I need to 
be conscientious and be like the other people that stay here. See, we're all we're all cattle just being herded. True. Herd mentality. True. Herd mentality. It, go, it goes back to yeah. that. I agree. So basically what you're saying is that if you kind of use a technique to get people to think that their neighbors are thinking the same way, you could even like sway an election. <laughs> I suppose you could. Uh, I mean, hypothetically, I'm just saying, like, you or, know, I'm not, I'm not, or Andres, you could get somebody to buy a vacuum. So this is typical in my community. Okay. I, the houses, I want to sway an election. Houses are close. <laughs> somebody knocks on the door, rings the doorbell. They come in with a, a vacuum. Maybe it's called uh, a cloud vacuum or, oh, wait a minute. There's one called a rainbow. And uh, the rainbow vacuum salesman came and said, oh, you know, your next door neighbor, so-and-so just bought this vacuum. And, you know, it's like $5,000 vacuum. I'm exaggerating big time. But for me, it was like a really expensive vacuum, especially when I don't have carpet. I have hardwood floors. So I'm thinking, okay, that's a lot. That's a huge investment. But they kept telling me this neighbor bought it and this neighbor bought it. Then when I left, when I finally convinced them to leave, excuse me, uh, that I didn't want the vacuum just because my neighbors had it, that I, I wasn't trying to keep up with the Joneses. And this is sort of used in the, in the book, in the talks. You, you uh, think you weren't. You think you weren't. I know. I did not buy it. They wanted names <laughs> of people I could recommend that might be interested. So that's what they do. And they say, oh, Lisa recommended you. And, you know, Lisa loved our presentations. She's thinking about buying the vacuum. I wasn't thinking about buying it. Like I, I really could not wait for them to leave. But I have to tell you, almost everybody in my neighborhood bought that vacuum. Wow. Had I had car because they just had I they said you know what they did they said they said that anyway they said Lisa's thinking about buying it. that's why they all bought <laughs> well, it. Well, you know what you know what's funny the people when who knew in, me knew I didn't have carpet so why do I need a vacuum anyway go ahead Justin. <laughs> when I was when I was in college I I, um, I did this little internship um, through this this company that had to set up our own house painting businesses as like an entrepreneurial training kind of thing and I used to do door to door sales and. So they gave us a pretty thorough. They gave us a pretty thorough training on how you can um, sell people on doing free house painting estimates, and we didn't get the the science or the reasoning behind it. But we were always told to say that their neighbors were also um, looking at getting estimates and using right. this exact technique. Right. So this was this was in our training. They didn't tell us why, um, but we were we were told to use it. So let me give you one more example, and then we'll we'll move on to the next couple here. The last two. Um, but uh, for restaurant owners, so there's actually um, a way that restaurant owners can increase the likelihood that people will choose a particular dish, and it's by doing a small addition to the description. And do you know what that is, Andros? Do you know what that is? It's a picture. It's not. It's not a picture. It's a. It's a little uh, asterisk. It's an asterisk next to the dish that says this is one of our most popular items. Just by adding that asterisk in that sentence that this is one of the most popular items, increased sales by 13 to 20%, according to uh, Influence, the book. So, wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I, I actually, you, you know why I said that is because if you go to uh, Denny's, uh, all the food has pictures on the menu. Well, I, I think having pictures will also increase it. But the, uh, for, the, for this, since we're talking about social proof, um, it just doesn't fit with social proof, man. <laughs> I think you know what it is. I'm in I'm in the Netherlands. There's no Denny's out here, and I'm actually I was just for some reason thinking about boots over my hammy. Okay, and pancakes. I get it. I'm, I'm hungry. Do you, do you remember getting the scratch and sniff stickers when you were children? 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, they all smell the same. Don't you? Don't you? Think I still that, do that with my socks sometimes. Oh well, I'm just thinking if they're if they're going to put a picture on a menu, why can't it be scratch and sniff so we can smell the food? Because let's face it, there's no greater sense than smell. It goes directly to the olfactory system, or goes right to the brain. And I think it's important. I don't know if you mentioned this at the beginning, Justin, but Bob's background. Okay, Robert uh Cialdini's background was in social social psychology excuse me and so uh, I think that's important for our, our listeners to know as well indeed indeed so the next one on the list here is scarcity and scarcity is something that I use all the time in my copywriting or in any sort of sales pitch and scarcity is another one of those things that can be um perceived or real so it can be it can be it can be uh, created or it can be real. But the idea is that human beings want scarce, uh, rare, or dwindling um, items uh, that are they're dwindling in availability. So uh, the example in the, in the book is that if you go to a supermarket and you see, a, you see one of those for sale signs, but it says that you can only purchase uh, three items per customer, that uh, when the, when a supermarket uses that particular sign, it doubles the amount of items that get purchased. So if you go like if you were going to buy, uh, I don't know, sparkling water, and it says you know they're they're a dollar each, but you can only buy three per customer, uh, then that would double the amount of items sold, the amount of units sold. So that's one of the examples given. Um, I use this a lot, and I think a lot of people in the seminar industry use this as a way of saying. Um, something is available for a limited time, so we can put a we can put a restraint on time. We can put a restraint on the number of units available, so that this deal is only available for the first ten people to take action. Um, and there's just there's a lot of ways to to kind of use scarcity to get people uh, wanting your item even more. So uh, I've seen it used for super high end coaching packages where the the package is either thirty thousand plus. Um, for a year long of, of coaching or masterminding. And, um, and when you tell people that you only have three slots available or um, around, around that figure, you're more likely to create an urgency uh, for people to compete and want to, and want to purchase. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Hmm. Hmm. That is interesting. I think that, uh, uh, I, I think, you know, it's interesting because it, it makes me think about um Bernays and his uh, kind of social experiments that he did with, uh, you know, social engineering and how he was able to manipulate societies through uh, marketing. Essentially, he's one of the first marketers using, uh, and we talked about this uh, a couple of shows ago, uh, where Freud, uh, Freud's nephew, uh, Edward Bernays, was able to basically get modern day marketing to where it's at. One of the things that he did was uh, he uh, was hired by Betty Crocker, who just had this new uh, product. It was the, the mix and bake cake, where it's just like you add water and stir it and put it in the oven and you're done. And it uh, no one was buying it. It just sat on the shelf. Wait shelves. a minute. Is there another and, type of cake, Andros? <laughs> well, well here's, here's the thing. Yeah, there is. No, but the, <laughs> you're funny. Uh, but, but the thing is, is that women were not buying it. And, and he did some focus groups and it turned out the reason why is because uh, women, when they baked for their family, they wanted to feel as if they were really baking something. And they felt that it was too easy to just open up a package, put it in there, mix it up with some water, and that's it. So he said, uh, well, what if you added something like, say, an egg and a little bit of oil? 
And then at that point, when the women felt like they were, because they didn't do men's focus groups back then, uh, when the women put a little bit of oil and an egg in there, they felt like they were actually, it was more like making a cake from scratch. And as soon as they did that, the thing flew off the shelves. And it was just, it didn't need it, but it was just that little tiny tweak that, that helped to switch something in, in people's minds. And so uh, I, I think that, that it's like all, everything that we're talking about in some ways, it's like the force. It can be used for the powers of good <laughs> or the powers of evil. So, um, you know, it's just interesting because you can use it to, to generate uh, an entire uh, tribe of people that will be gathered around your product. Or you can use it for, you know, well, to, to build, you know, the Death Star. Another, another good example of this is the idea if something is on sale, um, the, the implication that something's on sale is that it's uh, on sale for a limited time and that you're getting a really, really good deal. Well, JCPenney... Uh, years ago, they had changed their they had changed their CEO, and um, the person. So, if you've ever been to like a JC Penney, I know they're going out of business now, but are they're on their on their way. It seems like, uh, but in the in the past, if you've ever been to one, like most of the items in JC Penney will have a will have like a sale ticket um, that will say this item's thirty percent off, forty percent off, fifty percent off. Um, but the but the funny thing is that if you if you go in there like the entire year. Um, those items are always on sale. Now that I think by law, they have a law that you have to change the amount. So it might alter between like 20, 25%, 30%, things like that. Uh, they do have, they do have some regulations, but they're, they're easily worked around. Um, but they, they brought in a new CEO and he's like, you know what, this is dishonest. I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to tell people that this is on sale when really we're just charging this lower amount. And so, for a limited time, they uh, they took away that whole sales idea, and and sales plummeted. So when they when they took away the perception that everything was on sale, sales plummeted. People, it doesn't matter that they're paying the same amount of money. What mattered was that the perception that the items were on sale and that they were getting a good deal because they were taking advantage of a limited offer. And uh, and I, this goes out to like uh, Andres, you've been to the Camarillo outlet, sort of across the street from my house. Well, we went to that one Wilson's leather store when you were uh, when you were here last year, and uh, yeah. everything was eighty percent off, right? Well, I've been here yeah. I've been here for another year, and it's never <laughs> not been eighty percent off. <laughs> and, and, uh, but what's funny is when we went into the store and I asked them like when the sale ended, they told me uh, we we don't know. They told me we don't know when the sale ends because they're obviously trained to say that. <laughs> um, but you know, a year later, it's still eighty percent off. So uh, they're doing that exact technique that they're they're creating the the illusion that it's on sale for a limited time and that you're getting this fantastic deal if you act quickly. So to me, that ties into scarcity. So, so you know what's going to happen? It's one of these days you're going to need a leather jacket, and they're going to be like, "Sorry, it's the sale's over." You should have acted. <laughs> You had a year, buddy. Like that's going on for a year. So, Justin, I have a question. Being that you're the you're the expert here, uh, yeah. Related to this, what about these salespeople who say, if you call now within the next ten minutes, you can get it for you know nine ninety nine for the next three months on mm -hmm. Easy Pay, or yep. you, if you apply for the credit card, you can you can actually walk away with whatever tool you need from. Home Depot or Lowe's uh, with no financing for a year. So would that fit under scarcity or no? 
Well, the uh, if you call in the next 10 minutes, I would say that would fit into scarcity because you're creating a sense of urgency through time. Okay. So okay. that one that one for sure. That's funny. We actually brought that exact example up in a, one of our first or second episode because I always thought it was funny that they would do that on TV commercials because no, there's no way they could track exactly when a commercial aired and there's no way they would know exactly when 10 minutes is up. And they would, you know, if you called that number, you were going to get the deal. Right. So it didn't matter when you called, you were going to get the deal. So that, that was in a lot of ways, that's fake scarcity. Um, the other example you had was, was more of like a bonus. Like if you use a credit card, you get a better financing deal, something sure. like that. That's okay. more, that's more getting into like bonuses and add-ons, uh, which, which I don't think really fit in necessarily with, uh, with Cialdini's six with principles of influence. Now. Okay. But there's there's other ones that you know I use in my business that I've been trained with that um, that are influential triggers, and I would say that you know offering bonuses, you know, I guess you could call. I mean, if you if you act today, you get these bonuses. You could tie that into scarcity, I guess. So that would be the way I would tie it in: is that you have to act in the next 24 hours to get these bonuses, or you have to you have to take this action to get these bonuses. So that that in a sense creates a bit of scarcity. Um, and then the the other the other idea is um, I'm just thinking I'm thinking in terms of seminars and and I don't know if this fits into scarcity I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it out loud uh, it, it, every time a seminar leader makes an offer you hear them make the fake offer which I'll call it the fake offer they make the they call it like the this is the retail price of this training it's ten thousand dollars but if you act right now. I'm going to throw in bonus one, two, and three. And bonus one's valued at $5,000. Bonus two is valued at $3,000. Bonus three is valued at $4,000. So now you're getting, uh, what is that? Like $21,000 in total value. And you're going to get it all for $8,000 if you act in the next, if you act today, something like that. So the idea is that you're, you're inflating the values to the point of absurdity. And then you're doing this massive drop down. And you're creating the illusion of this incredible deal um, when in reality, you know, the final price might be $8,000. In reality, that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But when you just heard that the training was $10,000 by itself and you're getting another $11,000 in bonuses, uh, all of a sudden it feels like a little bit less because uh, it's you're getting you're getting the training plus all this and you're paying less than the retail price of the train. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and there's always a, a folder with a, a bookmark and a company card. And if we could just add the scratch and sniff stickers. <laughs> well, we got just in socks. And yeah. so we, that's definitely. Oh, they are, they are great. <laughs> so so in, in, in practice, this would be, you know, something. And, and we've seen this, like, you know, since the dawn of television. Operators standing by. Sign up now and get two free, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, so so, but how would this work? So so, in a sense, I mean, you could say that a lot of crowdfunding is almost built on this type of model, where it you know you offer like a prize that's only available until the funding is complete, and then it's cut off. So even you know that would be yeah. one way that you could crowdsource. That's, that's scarcity, absolutely. I mean, anytime you put a yeah. restraint on time, so anything where there's a restraint on time, I want to say is scarcity. So the idea that yeah, you have to act in the next 24 hours to get this deal, that creates scarcity. And then uh, and then the other one again was uh, number of units available. So there's only a hundred units, you know, or this is a this is a limited offer. Or if you remember back in like 2001, I was uh, back then I was graduating high school. That's how that's how old I am. Uh, but the PlayStation, the PlayStation Two had come out, 
and I was uh, I was big into video games, and um, the PlayStation Two they ran out they ran out of units, and um, it became it became scarce, and all of a sudden the value increased tremendously, and people were were paying big bucks, and back then eBay was the only place you could sell it online. Amazon didn't really have um, uh, didn't didn't let consume didn't let regular people sell their products on Amazon at that point. The people were selling their PlayStation 2s, which cost about $300 uh, retail. They were selling them for like $2,000 on eBay because they were really hard to get. So the the idea is that scarcity, if it's real, it really does increase the market value. When things are scarce, they're worth more. I mean, look at like uh, scarce minerals or uh, scarce, uh, scarce metals like gold and silver. Uh, part of the reason they're worth so much is because they're hard to, they're hard to get and they're a limited resource. So making sense? Totally. I'm right behind you. All right. Well, let's get into the final one because we're getting toward the end of our show here. So the final one is commitment and consistency. And the idea here is that if somebody makes a micro commitment, a small commitment, um, they're more likely to be consistent with what they have said or done publicly. So if you get someone to to give some kind of buy-in, like they say that they're um, they're going to do something, for instance, then when you follow up with them, they're more likely to continue on that path because you've kind of attached their ego at that point. Um, and this also goes into the idea of what's what are called in online marketing, they call these tripwires. So if you go, if you go to a website, a lot of times people will sell you a very low ticket offer to get your foot in the door and to convert you from a prospect into a customer. So the offer might be $1 to $7. Uh, but the idea is you they get your credit card on file, you make a micro commitment, you show a you show a commitment to do something, and uh, and when you do that, then they're more likely to continue on with you and buy your next your next offer. So that's one of the examples. Uh, Lisa, did you want to talk about this particular pillar? Well, well, you know, I like this one because let's get back to Andros. He always wants to talk about, you know, voting. So this... <laughs> no, no, so this want to talk about aliens. Aliens. Hanging chads or voting or whatever. But listen. I, I still, I, this, I can't figure out who Andros voted for. I'm, I'm still I, wondering. I did, know, he, did you vote for Trump, Andros? Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't. <laughs> we don't want to lose any I, listeners. I didn't. We don't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't vote for Hillary either. Achoo. I didn't vote for Hillary, but I did vote. Yes. Okay. Well, you you, you exercise your civic duty, so I respect you. I, yeah. I respect you for that, Mr. Sturgeon. But I do I, want to add that I wrote, I, in. I wrote in a candidate. Yeah. Yeah, I did too, actually. Elon, Elon Musk. Me too. <laughs> so this is important to me because, especially for local elections, if people knock on my door, and they want to have a conversation with me and they give me a flyer or a pamphlet and they say, you know, can I have your vote? Here's some of the things that, you know, I want to work toward in our local community. That really resonates with me. So I find this as being a very good marketing technique for politicians. I also uh, get calls uh, when it's not necessarily a local election, uh, more uh, a state level election. And it might just be something left in my answering machine, but it's still reaching out to uh, people and saying, reminder to vote on this day. And we really appreciate if you'd vote for us and here's why. And, you know, running through their, their major platform issues and ideas. So I think, I think this could really Im influence voting. And uh, it is mentioned in the book as having a positive influence on in voting. And I'm sorry, Justin, I wasn't as good as you in taking down the percentages, but I should have, be, because I think it's important that we do 
talk about the qualitative nature of what we talk about, but also the um, quantitative. And I, I didn't put the percentage down, but let's just say votes went up 30%. Okay, that, that'll, well, of, that'll help, be, our, uh, help our vote, our, our listeners. <laughs> one, of the examples, one of the examples in the book uh, for this particular pillar is that if you were, uh, for doctors uh, or dentists that are trying to get people to show up for their appointments, um, if you, instead of giving a patient if you if you give them a a card where you write it where the uh, where the receptionist writes in the date and time for the appointment, uh, people are less likely to show up than if you instead if if the receptionist were to give the patient a blank card, and then have them write in the date and time that 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 they want to come in for, or they have them or they they agree on a time and then they write they write it in themselves so they write in the date and time and then they keep the card so they've written it down, uh, that. According to the book, that drops no-shows by twenty percent. So again, the idea the idea is that they they've created a bit of a micro commitment by writing it down. Uh, they've uh, they've said something publicly. So the the idea between behind commitment and consistency is that if you say something publicly, you're more likely to follow up on it. So when they made a public commitment by writing down the date and time they're going to show up, uh, apparently no-shows dropped by 20%. So I find that to be pretty interesting. Justin, I love the word micro-commitment because I have a failure to commit to just about everything. Like I don't want to be in this league. I don't want to be in this this thing. I don't want to you know do Thursday nights. I don't want to go play golf. I don't, I don't want to commit because that Thursday I might wake up and not want to play golf. Or and uh, relationships. Yeah, I have a huge. I, I am a micro committer when it comes to relationships. You know, yeah, I, I, I think we could probably go out for a week. That would be cool. Uh, but, but you know, like next Saturday. You get boring after that. Yeah, next Saturday night. I'm afraid this is only a micro commitment. Okay, so this is. I'm going to take this word to a new level. Micro relationship. I love it. I like. I it. don't know. I like yeah. It. Yeah. I just. I, it's, uh... I just like the word micro, you know, who, wa who wants to be a macro? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Macro just sounds like a lot. I mean, that's a, that's a big macro relationship. That's a lot of commitment. I mean, I know, that would it, be it reminds me of macaroni and cheese, which reminds me of moons over Miami and Denny's, which reminds me that you're hungry. It reminds <laughs> me at night. A macro <laughs> commitment for me who does not cook would mean that I'd actually have to put the eggs and the oil in the cake. And I was so excited, Andres, when you were telling your story that I could have just put water in at one time. What the heck? <laughs> well, well, speaking of not cooking, I mean, I, I take a lot of heat, but I, and I pretty much, my cooking pretty much consists of microwaving. Um, and, you know, I, I, to the point where I'll even microwave my eggs to make scrambled eggs that are microwaved. Have you guys ever tried this? Justin, I think they're delicious. Justin, I take a lot perfect. of heat for this. They're perfect. I don't <laughs> cook. I, I prefer to eat everything raw, vegetables or yogurt, because that it's, it's so much less work and it's healthier. So, hey. And if you can hire a private chef, even better. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cook for y'all. So, Sorry. all right. Love it. So, so is that, so is that the end? Do, do we, do we just, well, that, that, those are the six. So let, let's recap here. Okay. So we talked about reciprocity. We talked about people liking you, Andros, and, or not liking you for, uh, for your example. Please email us, um, we talked... let us know if you like Andros. You don't have to be, you know, a yeah. frequent listener. Put a thumbs up, yeah. put a thumbs down. That's all we want to know. Yes or no. Thank you. We talked about authority, social proof, <laughs> scarcity. And then commitment and consistency. Those are the uh, the six pillars of influence by uh, Robert Cialdini. So those are that's what we talked about. And I, I do want to just uh, mention that he has another book out there called Persuasion. 
And the, the theory behind the other book is that um, if you are to set uh, the stage in advance for somebody, they are more likely to take actions that you want them to take. They give an example in that book about an online furniture store. And if you, if you send people to a landing page for an online furniture store that has clouds in the background, they're more likely to purchase uh, comfortable furniture and search, uh, and search for comfortable furniture. But instead, if you, send, uh, if, if you send people to a online furniture store landing page that has uh, pennies on the background, then they're more likely to shop for price and search, uh, and search based on finding the cheapest uh, furniture available. So uh, that was a study that he did in that book. And I find that to be somewhat fascinating as well. The idea that your subconscious mind is totally influenced by your surroundings, uh, even even though you're not aware of it. Because in this example, when they surveyed the people afterwards, uh, they were not aware of the background that they even uh, saw on the back. Justin, oh. it's so true because when I did presentations for the state education department at one time, we were allowed to buy goodies, cookies, donuts, cake, coffee. And people would walk into the conference center, conference room, and they were like, ooh, they'd go get all their goodies. And my evaluations were fabulous. When the state education department said, well, we've got a financial crunch. We need to do away with the cookies, the donuts. I was like, what's going to happen? Well, the very next conference I did, my 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 ratings went down. And I thought, mm, I, I ended up taking out-of-pocket money to buy the snacks because I wanted to make sure that, you know, my, my ratings and evaluations were great, but it did have something to do with it. The other thing, I, I'm so glad, Justin, that you introduced me to persuasion because setting that stage before you try to get people to say yes. And even though it took 20 years for Bob to come out with this new book after he wrote influence was fascinating. This one thing really resonated with me because I had an interview on Thursday for a new, a new big, big, big position. I don't know if I'm going to take it. I go places at my point in, in, in life to interview them to see if I want to work for them, not whether or not I want, you know, they want me. It's like, do I want to work for these people? But one of the things they said is that when people go to an interview, before they start answering any questions at all, they can set the pre- suasion stage and say, I'd like to answer all of your questions this afternoon. However, I have one question for you. Why did you invite me here to interview today? Then they start talking about how wonderful the candidate is or the person interviewing before they've even asked any questions. So it kind of validates you before you start the interview that they've already, they already like you from what your resume, your cover letter, your references. So I plan on doing this Thursday and I'll get back to you and let you know how it went. I, I would love to hear that. And when, uh, when Robert Richaldini was on stage, she actually uh, gave that example from the stage over at Traffic and Conversions uh, back in February. So that's a, that's a really, really great example. And I'm really interested to hear your results with it yeah i'll let you know uh, that same principle that same principle is used also in um in the seminar world and the the way that it's used is for high ticket sales offers again we're talking like thirty thousand plus uh for coaching packages where what uh what they do is instead of instead of letting people go to the back of the room and and um and buy the program they'll pass out applications and in the application, they're going to make those people qualify themselves um, on why they would be a good candidate for the program. But the idea is you're switching, you're switching it around. You're changing, you're changing the perspective. So usually the salesperson is the one trying to sell 
and all of a sudden you're making you're making these people qualify themselves to you. And it's the same thing you're doing with the interview that they're doing on these uh, seminars. I love it. Sales like I, I was so yeah. excited. Like I, I'm walking around reading this book. I got a smile on my face. I'm, I'm you know I'm skipping, but but this was like just it just really resonated and it hit home with me because I have this big interview coming up. But I think getting back to what Bob really wants is he wants people to say yes, you know, and and so I'm just wondering. Have either of you ever had an opportunity where you convinced somebody to, who didn't want something to uh, say yes? To oh, something? all the time. Uh, my, I got married. I hope she wanted to say yes. <laughs> how, how old is that baby? Uh, she must just. The baby is uh, the baby is six weeks. So we, add, so we got married more than it was more than six weeks we ago. Add, it was more than nine we months. Add six nine weeks. months to that. <laughs> she must have said yes twice then. <laughs> I guess I guess you're right. Yeah, that's good. Andros? So, well, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that I, I do in my sales process in and uh, just by habit, and I, I tend to do all of these things. When I go in uh, for the sales process, I talk to someone. I, uh, I, 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 and at the point, there's a point in the very early process where I get someone to say yes to just something that I know they'll say yes to. Um, and I, I ask questions along the way where the answer will be yes. And uh, they agree say, with something. Do you like me? And they say yes. And then you go no, from that, there. I learned real quick. That That's the wrong question to ask. That's the wrong question to ask. But I, 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 do take, I do take people through a series of yes questions. And because um, I want people to uh, be you know, comfortable. And when they get to the point where they have to say yes, they've already said it several times. So I, I think that, that these types of techniques are, are, you know, you follow them in small, subtle ways. You got to read the other person, but uh, they work. They really do. So Andros, out of our team here, you are definitely the yes man. Interesting. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just want to be liked. Please like me. So, all right. Well, we got to wrap it up here. Uh, uh, and uh, we are the marketing geeks and the marketing chic. Fashionably chic. Yes. Marketing geeks. Marketing geeks. Great job. And the fashionable chic. This uh, podcast is brought to you by Starchild Interactive. Starchild Interactive is the company you need to go to if you are looking to do the marketing, get your website, get a team of superheroes to activate your business. Starchild Interactive, starchild.us, working globally to make the world a better place through business. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you in a few days. Bye, Scratch and Don't forget to act now for yes, a limited time. Absolutely. Stay classy. Bye. Stay classy. Stay classy.